and welcome to Montgomery Talks, my MC Media's regular podcast on local issues. A handful of times on this podcast, we've asked why there aren't more women serving the Montgomery County Council. With a county as progressive as it seems, you'd think we'd have far more than just Nancy Navarro on the council. So that should set the stage for today's conversation with Diane Fink. Ms. Fink is the executive director of Emerge Maryland, an organization that trains Democratic women to run for office. About Ms. Fink, she's been working on campaigns for 18 years, according to your bio, and at all levels. She was a legislative staff member in the General Assembly, and she served two terms as a Frederick County Democratic State Central Committee member. She's a board member of the Western Maryland Democratic Caucus. Welcome, Ms. Fink. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first, can you describe what Emerge Maryland is? So we are a campaign candidate training program. We train women to run for public office. We give them all the tools that they need, the nuts and bolts, a deep dive into each component of what it takes to run for office and the tools to win, to run a, win, a winning race. And how long has it been around? In Maryland, we've been here seven years. We're working on our eighth year now. And how exactly did this get started? So for Maryland, you know, it's the Emerge organization has been around now for about, I think, 15 years, uh, a little longer than that. In Maryland, we got started when several women had had the same thought, I think. There was a decline in the number of women who were elected to the state legislature, which is sort of the barometer state uh, nationwide for each state as to how well women are doing in local elected offices. We, at one point, were number one, number two, as uh, according to the Rutgers University Center for American Women in Politics, the COP, C-A-W-P. And at one point, that was back in 2006, and we slipped to 16th. And I think it didn't go unnoticed. Uh, women were realizing that we were losing ground. Uh, we had once been, when I first got started in politics, I was mentored by Sue Hecht, who was a delegate at the time from Frederick. And she said, you know, Maryland is a wonderful place to be a woman in politics. You should, you know, jump in. And so, of course, I did. And as we saw these numbers slipping, we realized something had to be done. And finding the vehicle for it was Emerge, the Emerge program. And so we brought it to Maryland, and we've been working ever since. And now we are, I think, seventh in the country from 16th uh, since we started. And we have a record number of women serving in the state legislature now. Um, just a quick bit of trivia. I believe at least one term while Sue Hecht was in the uh, legislature, District 3 was represented by Sue Hecht, Anita Stupp, and uh, Louise Snodgrass. Um, mm -hmm. I can't imagine that's happened too many times in Maryland where three women represented a, a legislative district. It's happening. I mean, we're getting that. We're, we're gaining so much ground now. So uh, in the district that she served in now, it's a two-seat district. There are two women serving. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's it's like a, a training organization where the idea is, you know, people come in and they're actually in a classroom or they're actually getting the nuts and bolts of running for office. Mm -hmm. You require your candidates to do, pay tuition, but they also have to raise money to attend uh, Emerge Maryland classes, correct? So there's a tuition uh, requirement and then there's a raise requirement. And the raise requirement is in place for two reasons. Our tuition is quite low. For 75 hours of training, it's $500. Mm -hmm. The raise requirement is to hone their skills as fundraisers. So it's that step between raising money for a nonprofit organization and raising money 
for your benefit, for to benefit you. And as a candidate, you're raising money to benefit your campaign. In Emerge Maryland, you're raising money to benefit your, your education. And so we do our training as they're raising that money. We teach them literally with a, a live script and live phone calls, you know, call time for raising money. Also, you know, for them to, to build out there and understand how to work their network in order to raise uh, money when they do become candidates. So it's a it's also used as a tool to help them learn. Does anybody flunk out trying to uh, re- uh, enable to raise money the they need for the class? No. And that's an interesting question. And I realized when you said it that nobody has. In fact, you know, it's a very intense training program. We're in the class from 830 in the morning till five o'clock at night on Saturdays in the evening. And so, you know, it's it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's a lot of information. But I have had women come into the fundraising training in such a state of anxiety, just having to get the training. And some small meltdowns actually happened. And those women turned out to be our top fundraisers. Okay. So well, what are the lessons like? What, what exactly are you teaching these, uh, teaching the candidates? Well, uh, the basis of the whole thing, of course, is to learn how to run your race. Talking about fundraising, finding your voters, targeting them, their field, whole field operations, um, direct mail, how to use direct mail, what to do with the money once you get it. You know, oftentimes you see candidates who will raise the money and spend it as they go, and they realize at the end they have nothing to send their mailers out, you know, when it comes close to when the voters are actually paying attention to the races. So learning how to budget their time and their efforts, uh, how to handle their volunteers, you know, how to train them and how to care the care and feeding for vol- volunteers. And we do uh, a couple of extra bits in there that wouldn't necessarily be it wouldn't come to the top of your mind for campaign training, but we talk about, because we do partisan training and, and we do talk about labor, uh, endorsements and so forth when it comes to getting endorsed. And we talk about, we do a, uh, in fact, I just came from a meeting with the trainers who do our DNI training, which is diversity and inclusion training. And that's an intense full day of training. And that includes how do you write policy with this in mind, with with diversity and inclusion in mind, and the uh, possible unintended consequences of certain legislation that might be in mind, and how do you write a budget with diversity and inclusion in mind? So we do quite in-depth training on all of those subjects. And where exactly does the training take place? In classrooms or...? Around the state, we use, um, sometimes we use uh, office space that somebody donates we use the teachers union donate space for us in their different parts of the state. We move it around so that the women are exposed to other parts of the state and can see as they travel around the state and build their networks that it's not just about their home county. And how many women have gone through the training? So we've trained in the candidate training. We've done we've trained 122 women have graduated from our program. And out of that, of them have or are currently running for office. And how many have won? 47 women have been elected out of our program. Okay, wow. Any notable alumni? Oh, my goodness, yes. So we talk about, you know, the progressive Montgomery County, but no black woman had ever introduced legislation 
as a delegate from Montgomery County until Pam Queen became a delegate here. And she was appointed. She was uh, just graduated from our program. She was appointed to this position, to the position. And now there are three black women serving in the state house from Montgomery County, and all three of them are from our program. So Janelle Wilkins, Pam Queen, and Charlotte Crutchfield. So we also have the first, the youngest woman ever elected to the state Senate out of Anne Arundel County uh, in 30A, which is where Speaker Bush was from. We have the first black woman ever serving in the seat that he just, he, when he passed. Uh, So the woman, Shanika Henson, who took his seat, she's from our program, and she had been elected to the uh, Annapolis City Council and vacated that seat in order to be appointed to the 30A um, delegate seat. First woman ever to serve as the state's attorney in Anne Arundel County, Ann Coltlitis, came from our program. So, yeah, we're breaking barriers and shattering glass ceilings all over the state. Okay. It sounds like you're focusing on city, county, and state. Has anybody run federally for uh, out of your program? Not out of our program yet. We're hopeful that that's going to happen. The Building the bench is important getting women who are experienced and, you know, who, quite frankly, when you look at our delegation, it'd be hard to think, you know, that anybody would challenge right now Mm -hmm. any of our sitting congressmen. I don't know. That's not up to me. It's up to them Mm -hmm. if they're going to run. But uh, speaking of challenging, what if a a fresh graduate wants to challenge a woman who is an incumbent? Is there anything that you do to encourage or discourage that? Or is that just the nature of politics? Everybody has an opponent. Right. Well, so we don't get into, we don't endorse. We are not a PAC. We don't give money toward any candidate. Our role is simply to find the women who are interested in running for office. If they, you know, they self-select what seat they're going to run for. So that's totally going to be up to whatever they decide. You say self-select. Do you ever do any sort of recruiting to try to encourage women to run for certain seats? You think there's an opening in a given district or a given whatever council seat or whatever, and you think Montgomery County needs um, another woman serving on its council. Um, um, Do you kind of sit back and say, hey, you know, we need somebody on this count to run on this council and we can train you to be the person? Right. Well, so there's there's something to building a bench, right? Getting enough women who are interested in being involved in politics and running for office and getting them trained so that when opportunities do come up, they're ready to go. And if they decide that it's a county council seat and there's an opportunity for them, then somebody that we've already trained that lives in Montgomery County, you know, is prepared to run. She doesn't have to build the plane while she's flying it. And that's what's important. We really encourage the women to come through the program two to three years before they would even think about where, you know, if they're going to run, where they're going to run and and before they launch their campaign so that they're prepared and they're ready to go and they can pull the trigger when it's time. I've heard lots of people talk about candidates running because they've got the fire in the belly. Mm -hmm. So how exactly do you keep that fire burning for two years as, as you tell somebody, you know, you'll be ready to run in two years just Take our class first. Well, they brought the fire with them before they came to our training. We helped to, ke- to keep it kindled and to tap into it. 
But, you know, anybody who has that drive isn't going to lose it because they have to cool their heels waiting for a seat to come available. We have found that some of the women who took our class in 2013 just got elected in 2014 or in, I'm sorry, in 2018. So it was just a matter of them, you know, they're a political animal anyway. They are doing other things on the side. They're probably involved in some kind of policymaking. Maybe they sit on a board or commission. So these are women who are already tapped into making sure that, that goals are met and uh, needs are met. What kind of things wouldn't have happened if your, uh, your graduates hadn't been elected? Wow, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, I don't know that I have that kind of... Um, well, I can tell you what, what sort of legislation at these mm-hmm. fresh, some of these freshman women were able to either introduce, even if it didn't get through or some that got through. Wanika Fisher in Prince George's County was able to get legislation through that keeps pregnant women out of solitary confinement when they're serving time in prison. I mean, that, the fact that that was even a thing just boggles the mind that, that pregnant women would be would be subjected to that. So that is no longer a thing in Maryland. I'm not sure that we would have been able to be one of the first states to ban styrofoam if Brooke Lehrman hadn't worked on the bill as hard as she did. We have women who are fighting for, uh, like Lord Charcutian, who got up and and led the you know the the clean energy jobs? Um, she just did a fantastic job in in moderating the debate on the floor in the house this year. These are all freshmen, so I, you can imagine that they're they're going to do some amazing things as they go through their terms. Okay. We're hitting the uh, the fifteen minute mark of our on our podcast. I think now's a good time to take a quick break. This is Doug Tolman. I'm senior reporter at MCM, and I'm speaking with Diane Fink the executive director of Emerge Maryland. We'll be right back. MCM, your community media center, is making Montgomery County a great place to live through programs like 21 This Week. Montgomery County's hardest-hitting political talk show keeps you up to date with the local political scene. Montgomery Community Media. Our middle name is Community. And we're back with Montgomery Talks. This is Doug Tallman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. And I'm speaking with Diane Fink, the executive director of Emerge Maryland. So we've been talking a little bit about, um, about your organization and I've got a couple other things I want to get into. But before we get into that, what are some of the specific hurdles that women have to run for office that, that men just don't have? Well, unfortunately, a lot of it comes from within. They, they lack ambition to run. And it may be because of external pressures that they get starting at a very young age when the gender divides start to happen. And the studies are very depressing when you find out that their ambition is, uh, it wanes very uh, rapidly, you know, from a young age and as they, as they grow older. So they're often discouraged by their own sex, by women, other women. They're often discouraged by their own family members. So I think that a lot of women who have a desire will keep it under wraps because the external pressures that they get are overwhelming to them. And so it's easier just to not do it. It's interesting you say that because I would almost think it's almost a cliche of I've seen so the women who are in politics, many of them have taken similar routes where they get active in their school, they get active in the PTA, they get active on the school board, they get active in 
whatever the next level is after the school board. Yeah. I mean, are you seeing that as well? or is Oh, or, yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. And they're terrific at working, you know, nonprofit organizations and raising money for cancer and autism and all these, you know, wonderful charitable organizations that they do work for. But when you take that extra step into politics, it becomes a completely different story. And and that's where this, the barriers start coming up. You, you have to earn money. You have to raise money to do it. You have to get out there and put yourself out there in a way that you don't in all those others that you just talked about. So, Can women raise money? Let me rephrase that. Do women face specific hurdles when it comes to raising money that men might not have? Yes, absolutely. And that's probably one of the top reasons women will say, I, I, this is, I can't do this. I just don't have the resources. But part of it is also... The perception uh, still that women can't win. And so people will say, isn't that sweet? She's running for office. I'm going to give to this guy over here. And that men, men and women do that. Yeah. You need a good old girl network. <laughs> That's what we're working on. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I started this with talking very um, parochially about um, Montgomery County. Um, in our last election, we elected a single woman to the uh, Montgomery County Council, and that is Nancy Navarro. Although um, it wasn't for a lack of candidates, the Democratic uh, primary had, well, had a gazillion candidates and half a gazillion of more women. What is unusual about Montgomery County that that happened? Because I look across the, counter, the, the border at, at Frederick County, a smaller uh, council. You have two women serving on the council. You have a woman as a county executive. I would think, I would hope somebody in Montgomery County would say something isn't quite right. Right. So who would that be? And, you know, I think all the women are saying this isn't quite right. So, I, I, you know, Montgomery County is an enigma. It took until 2018 to elect, you know, black women to the General Assembly. So we, we love to think of, of ourselves as super progressive. But when it comes to actually acting on that, you know, you have to wonder. We're not saying that just because somebody's a woman, they should be elected. That is never going to be the point. Certainly. But if, if a woman isn't given the confidence, the opportunity, the networking, the same sort of um, level playing field that's, that's out there for men, then, you know, she, she isn't going to be on the ballot. And as, like, as we have a sticker that uh, it's a quote from Brooke Lerman, you can't vote for the best candidate unless, she, you know, she's on the ballot. Now, there were women on that ballot. There were a lot of good women on that ballot. And ultimately, it came, it be, you know, became up to the voters, to be honest. So that particular election, I don't, I think it's just an anomaly in that you had so many people going for so few seats that it, the way the cards were going to fall were just going to be how many of, how many voters did each of those people get in touch with in a meaningful way? Hopefully, Montgomery County will settle down a little bit in that not everybody will run for these seats like in the numbers that they did, and you'll see more of a, a true race. I think that probably this has been analyzed by people a lot smarter than me in Montgomery County as to why it fell the way it did. But I will say that the more women continue to put their names on these ballots, the more I think we'll see get elected. Was there anything about the Montgomery County election that the, the people who develop your curriculum, the people who sit down and say, this is what we need to train our, our, our students, sit back and say, OK, we need to have a class on public financing mm -hmm. or we need to have a class on how do you get 
name recognition when there's 30 people that you're running against? I mean, did anybody look at Montgomery County and say, these are the kinds of things we need to do going forward? Yeah, well, yes, and, and, and it will continue to be looked at. The public financing was brand new to Maryland, brand new to Montgomery County. Uh, I know that there are, again, very smart people who are looking at how that went down and maybe tweaking some of that a little bit. So we do try to keep on top of, of what's happening there and how that's going to be rolled out. You know, if there's any changes that'll be made to it and whoever's in the class, we will provide information for them on how to navigate that. Okay. Although the council is is obviously a, I think, a w- one barometer, I think I just out of fairness sake, I need to point out that more than half of the delegates that represent Montgomery County are women, mm-hmm. if I did my math right. And three of the eight uh, senators that represent Montgomery County are women. So I, I, there is a glass half full or there is water in the glass, let's say, as opposed to it being drained completely. But considering how visible the council is, the number of women who ran for that for those positions, it does strike me as a bit odd that a woman couldn't have won. Mm-hmm. I think it's a numbers game at that point, honestly. Um, you know, they were so parsed, the right. votes. What about this ranked choice voting, which, to be honest with you, I've lost track of what, whether it's going to be a part of any elections coming forward or not, but it certainly has got has spurred some interest among some people. Is that something that you can teach people to say, this is how you're going, this is how to win a ranked choice voting election? Or is this something where you just kind of sit back and we'll wait and see what happens? No, I mean, I think it will change how we campaign somewhat. But in the long run, it's did you get your message out to each voter that you need to reach? in a meaningful way and make a connection with them so that you come out on top. The ranked choice voting thing, I think it's been, I think Maine tried it and I think they liked, they ended up liking how that worked. There are other parts of the country that are, are you know, going into experimental phases with those. I would like to see Maryland also sort of head in that direction. It does help to break up the status quo. Which is probably exactly what needs to happen for more women to serve. More women, more women of color, more people of color. There's there's a whole lot of underrepresentation there. Things will be wide open in 2022, but as my uh, father always used to say, time's a-wasting. Is there, maybe this is an unfair question, but is there any woman out there who can pre- can present a credible candidacy for governor in 2022? Oh, I'm absolutely sure there are, yeah. I'm not going to name any names, but well, okay, without names, I, 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 that 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 that's what that's what I think is somewhat concerning is that you look at the last several governors, several of them have come out of government executive branch types, uh, Glenn Denning, O'Malley, you could even say Hogan, maybe just to put him somewhere. Elrich came out of the legislative branch, both from the House of Delegates and from the House of Representatives. He may be a bit of an anomaly. Typically, from what I believe the studies show is that government executives don't typically come out of the legislative branch unless they've had some sort of executive experience. Right now, the only woman with executive experience today would be Jan Gardner and uh, Angela Alsobrooks, who only just started leading Prince George's County, correct? Yes, that's right. So, um, as you said before, building the bench. Mm-hmm. Um 
is 2022 going to be the year for the woman in uh, the state house or are you thinking farther down the road i don't see why it couldn't and i you know i think we're also not just you know breaking down barriers and shattering glass ceilings but you know doesn't have to be out of the executive pool as well it could be out of the legislative you know pool from Annapolis. It could be somebody who's serving, you know, in a municipality somewhere in Maryland, a smaller municipality. You know, it's amazing that we wonder how somebody can come from left field and run for office and yet turn out to be a really strong person or candidate. So let's turn a little bit to the federal level. I wanted to ask you, are you getting more students because of um, the Trump administration? Yeah, well, in twenty the summer of 2016, we saw a bump. We saw definitely saw an increase, and I called it the Hillary factor. There was a woman who was running a strong race and was getting women really, really excited about politics, and we did see an increase. And I thought, oh my gosh, how you know, just handling this this large increase was was exciting, and it was a challenge. The night I went to sleep. The, the election. I knew it was happening. And literally, my phone started buzzing about four o'clock in the morning. And it couldn't contain itself. It was just going crazy. And I, I woke up, I keep it next to my nightstand, because I'm a mother, I don't care if my kids are in their 30s, I'm always going to worry about them. And I picked up my phone, and I never saw anything like it, all the text messages, and the Facebook messages, and the emails I was getting, I get, came in hundreds and hundreds of them, it went on for weeks. And these women said that I want to do something, what can I do? Where do I fit in this picture? Who can I help to run? I want to run. You know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, the, that certain policies are made. Where do I fit into this, this landscape? And so I started holding meetings with these women around the state, helping them figure out, you know, where they could fit in and what they could do and be part of the, the voice that needed to be out there. One other question about presidential politics that, again, this may not be fair to ask you this question, but I, I, it's something I need. I just want to see if there is an answer. My Facebook feed is not at all indicative of anything more than just the people that are on my Facebook feed. But the th three people who post the most about current politics are three women. And one woman is in favor of Joe Biden. One is in favor of Pete Buttigieg. And one is in favor of um, Bernie Sanders. And I'm I'm flabbergasted at the fact that you've got a number of credible female candidates and not one of these three women seem to be the least interested in them. What's going on? Well, with your anecdotal three women, you'd have to ask them that. <laughs> okay. uh, but I get it. I, I feel that same sort of astonishment when I see, you know, these wonderfully qualified, ready to go women with grand ideas and great ideas that they can actually implement and find that they're not, you know, universally supported by women. And I think therein lies the problem with getting women elected. You know, there is a perception. The patriarchy lives, and it lives big and bright in, amongst men and women. And I think that there is just perceptions that need to be changed. And the more women we get elected and the more that we see that not only are they able to, to get things done, women have a unique way of building consensus that, you know, 
doesn't necessarily happen always in a room full of men. They have a unique perspective on many of the issues that are often sidelined by men because men don't experience the same things that women do. So having those diverse voices at the table are so important, but the faces of these women will start to convince and what they're doing will hopefully convince people that the men don't have always have all the answers and that they need to trust women. And I trust women. Okay. I think that's a good time to stop. This is Doug Tolman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. I've been speaking with Diane Fink, the executive director of Emerge Maryland. Our engineer today was Carolyn Roskoskis, and our executive producer is Gaynell Evans. Thank you for joining us. Come back next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.